welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to The Ramble. Today, uh, we have a very special and uh, a guest that hits close to home. It is Suzanne Adams, but that is my mom. Now, I'm going to do my best throughout this podcast to refer to her as Suzanne, but if it slips out that it's mom, well, it's all good. It is all good because she is. Uh, A little bit about her other than the fact that she's raised me still raising me 35 years later (laughs) over the past 25 years she has built an award-winning team of health and wellness professionals through her company fitness edge providing services to parks and recreation boards school districts police fire departments and the military she led in motion a provincial health initiative that encouraged children and work sites to be more active and was honored to receive them all pre-award in 2001 by the National Fitness Leadership Advisory Council and to be named the Myrtle Everett Business and Professional Woman of the Year in 2010. Both achievements I'm very proud of as her son. Giving back to the community is one of her core central values. And since 2001, she's been a member of the Business Excellent Committee in Abbotsford, or for Abbotsford's Chamber of Commerce, excuse me, and judged the Business Excellence Awards, of which I did not win, but applied for, and was, oh my gosh, the list goes on, Mom, of all the amazing things you've done here, uh, is a uh, is the co-chair of the Gift of Love Committee, which has raised $3.2 million for the Canucks Children's Hospice. So I'm going to leave it there. What is interesting about where we're going with this is not fitness, actually, it's about parenting. You see, my mom is also a very successful life coach. And I thought, well, I'm fresh two, three, four weeks into having a, a new baby. I thought it would be great to talk about parenting. And I thought, who the heck better to talk about parenting with than my parent? So this may get personal, may not. We'll see where it goes. But welcome to the show, Suzanne. Hi, Joel. I got it right the second time. <laughs> first, time first time I called you mom. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We we don't live far apart. We're, I, I, I felt like that introduction sounded like we haven't seen each other in eons, but you were here the day the day Joby was born like earlier this month. Yeah, it's it's been amazing. I'm now the mother of, um, I should say, grandmother of nine grandchildren. Uh, and uh, I, I'm hoping I get that journey uh, a little bit better than I did the parenting journey. That's the way it goes, right? I think it does. I think that you really do. There is wisdom in age. And I think that we, as we mature, we have the opportunity to turn our wounds into wisdom. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I'm on that path. I have not arrived, but hopefully I'm on that path. It's, it's so fun to be grandma. Like I can only tell that I'm sure every single person here who's listening is like, yeah, like, I liked my grandparents. I like visiting my grandparents. They did all the things that my parents didn't do. So 
it's it's just cooler. It's cooler. I think there's a, an enormous joy in grandparenting that's different from the worry that I had with my own children as they were born. I think when when I had you, I, I think, first of all, I was trying to produce a version of me. And secondly, I was very caught up in the perfectionism that the, that I would produce these perfect children through perfect parenting. And I think with grandparenting, you don't view it that way at all anymore. You, you accept the, the child, the little one in front of you as they are and just enjoy them as they are. Whereas in parenting, I think I parented a lot through my own wounds. And I, I can look back and see uh, and see that. And with grandparenting, it, it's just different. To me, it's uh, each one of them are different and unique. And I'm certainly not trying to turn them into me. Uh, and so the journey is uh, a lot more joyful. There's, there's this saying that, you know, w- w- when we're parenting our children, we're really parenting ourselves on the first go around. <laughs> and uh, we're just, we're learning and discovering ourselves I think, I don't know if that's more true for a younger parent. Like you were young. I was young when I became a parent, hadn't found my footing as my own self in the world. Uh, So I wonder if that plays into it where you have a lot of insecurity because you just are still trying to say, hey, I'm no longer in the nest with my parents. So I'm out here, but but who am I and where do I fit in out here? And as you're just trying to do that and you introduce a little child into your lives, you're like, oh man, now I got to figure out where I am in this as well as this person, right? And that's where I think that we, it's it can be very hard, but I, I don't know. I haven't asked anybody who's who had children later in life if they felt different. Well, I have a very close colleague and friend who she had her first at 38. And I have another close friend who had her first at 41. And I think their journeys were just just as difficult. I think that, difficult. you know, yeah, I think that the pursuit of getting it all right. And what actually is that? Like, what actually does that mean? I got it all right. I love Dr. Shafali and, you know, huge shout out to her. I, I love her books. I love her podcasts. And I love how much she owns her own journey in parenting. And I think that, you know, even people who, you know, they're professionals, they've traveled the world, they're financially stable. And then this baby arrives and it's like, okay, now what mm-hmm. now? Okay. Should I feed them every four hours? Should I, sleep with them in the bed with me? Should I, you know, and it just goes on and on. Are they crawling soon enough? Did they walk soon enough? Do you give pablum? Do you breastfeed? Do I, you know, and those lessons just keep repeating themselves at every stage. And I, I don't know if that's unique to a young mom. In fact, in many ways, I think a young mom embraces it a little bit easier than a mom that Mm -hmm. has overthought it. And if I read all these books, and do this all right, then somehow everything's going to be perfect. And so I don't know necessarily if there's um, merit in having your first child at 35 or, or 25. I think it has a lot to do with our own insecurities and where our anxieties are at. And if we have a helpful partner, mm-hmm. I think those things really make the a big difference in, um, in our parenting journey. But I think one of my realizations is my child was not put on into this world to be a version of me. 
and that they were always born enough. And sadly, I can look back and I think that particularly with you, Joel, and I don't know how that happened because I have four children, but, but with you, I, I saw so much of me in you that I always wanted to be a runner. I wanted, there were so many things that I wanted to do. And my, my mom didn't support those types of activities. So when you showed interest or I put that interest in you, <laughs> uh, I became obsessed. And, and then it, it filtered into other areas of book reports and public speaking. And, and those are some things that I think created big parenting wounds. And, and I, will, I will say we're a mistake in parenting because I now realize all children are born enough. They were always enough. We actually teach our children that they're not enough by making them have a, have, having to be something. And it's fine if your child wants to pursue something, but they don't have to be something to be good or, or my child's this or my child's straight A's. And I think that that's a big parenting um, lesson that I've had. And I think it's one that causes a lot of parents anxiety. How many activities do you put them in? And should they be recreational? Should they be competing? And what age should they compete at? And should you hang their awards up? Or should you, you know, did you just enjoy that? And I think those are tough questions. Mm-hmm. Was it the same when you were growing up? Because we know the the hovering of parents, myself included, has certainly certainly seems to be more so now. And the comparison, like the keeping up with the Joneses, I mean, I, I was I'm sure it was always a thing, but it couldn't couldn't possibly be more so than it is now with Instagram and and our, our socially driven lives online. So when you look back into your childhood and, or your, your own mother's childhood, like what you know of it, that was that putting themselves in you still there then, or was it much more hands-off? Uh, yeah, that's an inter- interesting question, Joel. Well, I'm a pleaser. I'm working really hard on it. It's rather interesting because I help other people have work-life balance and struggle with that myself. And I help other people with pleasing boundaries and I struggle with that myself. I can look back at my own journey. There's nine children in my family and um, the youngest three, I'm part of the youngest three. I mean, I had a little sister that died of crib death and my mom greatly clung to my baby sister, Alice. And I was only three and a half. And I didn't understand death or grieving. I just saw mom take Alice with her. And so I turned into mommy, please love me. Mommy, please love me. And I found myself wanting to be the version of whatever my mom wanted. Just love me. I will do my sister's chores. I will be what you want, act like you want, dress like you want. Just love me. And so that pleasing filtered into every area of my life. And I don't know if that was something that mom consciously was trying to turn me into a pleaser. It wasn't until I grew up that I realized grieving and what it would have been like to lose a child once I'd had children of my own. But there were certain things that she did project that were projected onto her, like good girls don't wear makeup. Good girls don't show any cleavage. Good girls only have sex with one person, you know, and the good girl was very clear. It is your job to be a good girl. And, and so was that, was that in the, was that in the culture? I think this is England where you were at the time. Was that in the culture at large or was that within your 
your religion? Uh, I'm going to say it's both. I think it definitely isn't a culture at large that you raise good little girls. And what is a good little girl? You're quiet and you're sweet and you're compliant and um, you dress a certain way. I think there's some British roots to that, but I think my mom in her Catholicism and in her upbringing that a good proper girl is this. So she was doing what she thought was right. I want to raise respectful daughters and uh, I want my daughters to be good little girls. And, and um, I don't begrudge her for that. I think that's, you know, who doesn't want a good little girl, but when you're losing your soul, so to speak, to be something someone else needs. I think there's a lot more that goes on in the, in the person that's trying to be the good little girl, because as you become a woman, you're still trying to be that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's where it became complex for me. And then you think, well, I'm going to parent totally differently. My mom wasn't really into, she didn't really like sports and I'm very athletic and she wanted me to do violin. And that was one area I did push back on. I, I really wanted to do sports. I, I, I was a gymnast and a runner and, uh, but my mom never came to any activities. It was just wasn't her thing. And plus there were nine kids. So I now realize uh, she couldn't and she didn't drive. So there's another reason, but uh, I became obsessed with my children's activities and thinking they'll, they'll see me in the audience. And, the, you know, whereas it wasn't even healthy. I actually got banned from your track meets. I don't know if you remember, but you, yeah, you do. Right. Yeah. So uh, I don't think that's. I heard through the uh, grapevine. You heard through the grapevine. Yeah. There's this, Mrs. One Price, day you're showing up. Yeah, please get I, off. Hey, I'd rather I'd rather you get banned from my track meets than having put me in force me to do violin, which you didn't. <laughs> no, just I don't know. But Can um you picture me doing violin. <laughs> I think it's my mom uh as she as she also found herself out of outside of the roles that were given to her as a woman, I think she would see things differently. But a lot of those wounds I took into parenting. And I really thought if I did everything right, I'd produce these perfect children who would be perfect adults. And I don't even think there's any such thing as perfect. And I actually think perfection is actually a form of anxiety. Like, I think the more perfect you're trying to be, the, the more you're going to raise your anxiety. You mentioned in, in the intro that I, I was um, businesswoman of the year and I, I actually think it should be called most dysfunctional person uh, who can't say no. This is the award for somebody who has no boundaries. Not that I'm not grateful for the award (laughs) and for the learnings that I had, but I also think it represented a lot of pain. It was still, still, mommy, please love me. Look at me. I'm doing something of value. And I think I I find value in a different way now. I've always stayed away from a lot of social media. I'm a very private person, but that is one of the ways that I was able to ground myself and myself because I knew that I would go down that rabbit hole of where I'm looking for approval, looking for approval. And that was something I was trying to heal. So you know, I was, it reminds me of uh, Ram Das, who's a spiritual leader, uh, um, not somebody I followed very well, but he, he had once said that, you know, we're born wearing this special space suit. So we think, and all our lives, as we grow up, we look to see whether or not our spacesuit is nice in the eyes of others, you know, and, and their feedback, their reaction to us is the information that we process as whether or not, you know, we're wearing the right spacesuit. And I ultimately, his journey was that of 
you know, re removing the spacesuit. The metaphor being the things that we wear that we think are who we are that make us worthy and good enough. The spacesuit, you know, air quotes, was how do I just shed that entirely? Right. And that's, it's so fucking easy to fall into the trap of like, oh, look how cute this is. And this, like, this happened. Sorry, look how cute she is, or look how cute he is, or look at look at what he's doing. This happened just the other day where just like the language is so powerful, even to, to children who you don't associate. Maybe having the degree of understanding or the power of like what a simple word would do. So, you know, you know, obviously my daughter's Quinn and Roman, the eldest two. One is often called cute, and one is often called beautiful. And all the loving uh, the, the, these, these comments come very genuine, unassumingly off the cuff, lovingly to them. But just uh, three nights ago, my youngest, or sorry, Roman, my middle daughter said, I, I don't want to be called cute anymore. I, I want to be beautiful. And so there's this conscious shift for them. And you realize like now they're seeing beautiful is better than cute. Right. And obviously we play our role in that. And you can't like you, you cannot get through childhood into adulthood without taking on a serious amount of damage. Like there's no, there's no like simple path, but I imagine when you're coaching your clients that there has, I bet you most of them, many of them come to you and somewhere near the epicenter of their challenges that they're working through the shifts that they're making have to do with a parent wound. Is that a fair comment? It's a very fair comment. And what's really interesting is it doesn't matter how successful someone is. You, I've got, I'm working with doctors, lawyers, accountants, very achieved athletes, and, and they all feel it. You know, they've won the Pan Am Games. Um, they've finished med school and have a very successful practice. And it's, why don't I feel like enough? What I thought when I hit this alkaloid or I would feel, feel, and I don't, and I still feel like I'm trying to please my parents and I'm an adult. Um, I know I had one client who wanted to, uh, he wanted to quit hockey and uh, he was, he was uh, just under NHL level. I'm not, I'm not a big sports person, so I'm not sure what that <laughs> team is called, but some sort of yeah. farm team. And he was explaining to me that, his parents said, you're so selfish after everything we sacrificed for you to do this. And he said, but I didn't ask you to do this. You mapped out my whole life. And yes, I'm born athletic. And yes, I like hockey, but I don't want to do this. And the guilt and the shame that was put on him. And he loves his parents. So he's trying to heal their wound while he's healing his. And I think that's something that when our parent, when we, we, pick what our kids are going to do for their activities. You know, oh, this one's going to be a fireman. This one's going to be a doctor. This is a gymnast. This is a dancer. We didn't even, oh no, my child wants to do this. I know they want to do it. Did they want to practice five days a week and compete? And did they want to do that? Or did you want them to do it? Or did they learn that this pleases you? A child needs to have attachment to a, a parent that is that is what a child needs to survive so what children often get put into is they have to pick attachment or authenticity and what a terrible i mean it almost breaks my heart to think maybe i did that to you where you think 
I, you, you're going to choose to either attach to me or be your authentic self. Like, would you have felt comfortable saying, mom, I'm not running anymore. I'm just flat out, not doing it. And I actually recall a time when you did, you almost were begging me not to run a certain race. And, you know, it's one of my biggest failures of a parent at that moment, I'm trying to encourage you. It's going to be okay. You're going to run, you're going to win. You're going to get the gold. And you did all of that, but I was not listening to you. And you were trying to say, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't want to let you down mom. And I'm giving you this pep talk. And really was what I wasn't doing was allowing you to be authentically you. And I think that in parenting, that's a big question to ask ourselves is, am I allowing my child to be their authentic self? Or I'm teaching them that to get attachment to me, you have to be what I want. And, you know, this is why with grandchildren, I'm just, I want to just love them how they are. And I try very hard to to stay away from your cute, your beautiful to your kind or your, your um, I love your empathy or, or I love your passion for animals or, or some, trying to redirect it. So it's not about what they do or who, what they look like, because I think that that's a hard choice. And it's a hard choice all during in life. Cause later on, even in marriage, do you want to be loved for who you are or love because of what you do and, you know, and, and, and what you have. So we don't teach this in childhood, guaranteed they're bringing it into their adult life Mm -hmm. and it never stops. Yeah, it does never stop. And I've always wrestled with the, the, I don't, maybe it's not a fine line, uh, but the, the line between pushing and encouraging and pushing your child to be the best, strongest version of who they can be. And that strongest version can be the ability to say, no, this isn't working for me. But when there may be being their worst enemy or they are, they're letting go of something maybe a little too easily. And, and there's a gentle nudge, you know, not attached to you, the parent, but it's like, you know, you got to see, on this. I don't give a shit about your C, but what do you give a shit about your C? How do you feel about that? Like as a letter grade and and where do you want to take life? Like where, where in your evolution as a parent, do you see that shifting where you're like, no, I don't want to impose, but I also think that, you know, do I just let well, my kid fall on their own face? Is that the very, best very good question? I think that, I mean, I now try to approach even with my adult children and definitely my grandchildren and even with my clients, guide, step aside, guide, step aside. And um, so that you're not guide, let the person have their own experience. Um, and if that includes failure, failure, failure is part of life. We can, it's part of what makes us resilient. It's part of how we grow. We, you know, we don't, in my own life anyway, I don't think I did my biggest growing through happiness. I think I grew, you grow through struggle. I think happiness is there for enjoyment. And it's amazing when things are going well and you're having happy emotions and happy experiences. But I think pain is often our teacher and sorry, I'm off track. What was the, the, I was just, I was, I was asking about what your, your idea of guiding and stepping aside and letting, letting our children, you know, wound themselves, fall on their own, wound themselves, a terrible way of saying it, um, 
you know, fail and, and decide for themselves versus, you know, pushing them to, you know, pushing them through your, your view of how they should deal with this. Yeah. It's, it's super complex and tough. And I don't know if I have the answers for it. Um, I, I think that like, if I had to do it again, I probably wouldn't even barely read your report cards. I'd say that's between you and your teacher, an Indian guru that I love listening to. And his dad was a physician, actually was a specialist. And he said, my dad never looked at ever at our report cards. He said, that's between you and your teacher. And I thought, wow, that's really impactful. And he said, if you don't do your homework again, that's between you and your teacher. You have the consequences, whatever you, where I was, not only did I help you do your homework, I did it many times for you because I could do a better title page or I could just make it a little bit better. I recall a time where I did a science project and I don't even know if you guys looked at it. Like, I'm like, don't touch it. You're going to hurt it. Don't touch it. there's, There's like, there's a fair part of that where it's like how much of school is bullshit. So I, like, I think like the amount of stuff that you have to do being bullshit versus what you actually need to learn in that. And like, you know, well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've delved into a little bit so I can learn um, from my mistakes or grow from things that um, I felt hurt my kids. But uh, many, many studies show that your high school marks have your final grades in grade 12 have no indication of your future success. You could be straight A's and, you know, or you could be failing school and and go on to have enormous success. And actually, it's rather ironic because a number of months ago, we were with a group of professionals all of us have done well. All of us are in good jobs. And um, whether we're CEOs or a GM of an airport or fire chief, police chief, very, you know, done well. And every one of them said they did not do well in school. Mm-hmm. And like, it was actually kind of funny. Well, you were a solid C. Well, you were a solid. Wow, you did good. I was a solid C minus. Well, I barely passed. And all of them are very, very successful. So think about the stress and anxiety of of what the parents must have gone through trying to produce. You're not doing good at school. You're not doing good in school. And all of these individuals are very thriving, successful. And also, too, they're talking about the wounds of schooling, like how much you, you are trying to fit in and learn at the same time. I think that, I don't know, I, I think Finland's got it right where schooling is concerned. They cut the school week down to shorter. They they cut homework out. They cut a lot of testing out. And now, you know, they're, they're one of the top in the world beating out countries where they go to school six days a week and study all the time. They made kids fall in love with learning by not punishing them to be perfect. And it's not all about getting A's. It's about learning. Yeah. And, and uh, I think uh, myself, I think that's a good approach. I don't know the question of when do you tell a child wants to stop an activity and you can see they have a lot of success in it. Do you push them or do you, do you just, it's your decision. One of the things that you once shared with me, Joel, is, is that like that incident I talked about where you didn't, I believe it was the provincials. You didn't want to run. You actually just wanted from me to say you didn't have to. You probably would have run anyway, but you wanted to hear from me. You don't have to do this. And perhaps that's the, that's what your child needs to know. You don't have to do this. And, and which one of us looking back was perfect in school all the time and did perfect reports and, and came home perfectly happy every day and never had a feeling or thought outside of, you know, positivity. That's not an expectation we can put on our children because they feel like we feel. 
And I don't know if I understood that in while you guys were growing up. And um, the more success you had, I literally felt like it was me. I I can own that. I you want awards, and I felt like they were me. When you public did public speaking, I'm speaking it at the same time as you because I've got it all memorized. And not so sure that's healthy. I think that I think there myself. I think there's way too much focus on childhood success. Oh, yeah. um, way too much. I think that children just should be, I think they should play and get muddy and learn to bake and learn to put tires on cars. And like, once they get to the appropriate ages, but have fun in their learning. I mean, I'm not saying there should never be discipline. That's not what I'm talking about. But when we're talking about success, what is it? What is the measure? I mean, you were academic, Naomi got straight A's. I, I was hardly academic, but yeah. <laughs> well, I think your your great smile an, and an all the teachers kisser. loved you. <laughs> yeah, that, I was an ass kisser. I knew what I needed to get yeah, done. Yeah, and okay, you figured it out. <laughs> um, and and maybe many kids fall under that category, but it doesn't. This is not where peace is found. It's not where security is found, and it's not even where growth is found later on in life. Because we all look back and all have to basically learn to heal our childhoods. Yeah, and we'll probably, I, maybe we have to do that no matter what. You know, you 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 hear these stories of older generations who, you know, they they went to school, they walked to school on their own at five years old, and they walked home and they. They didn't even go home right away. They went and played with their friends for three hours until, you know, they heard their mom call for dinner and they scrapped with their friends and they, and they did all, they figured they crashed against life and they figured all this stuff out without the parent hovering over top of them. But, you know, somewhere along the way, I, you know, I think that those, those, that generation had, you know, maybe less entitlement. I don't really know. It's it's hard to say. You know, I don't know if the parents in that generation were trying to produce successful, perfect kids. I don't know. I think there became that literally became a thing that your measure of success as a parent was what your children were doing. And I definitely swallowed that up. And I don't even know if I can blame it on society. I think that my self-esteem became my children. As I wasn't separate from my, like my children weren't separate from my self-esteem, whereas what my children do or don't do is their journey. But I made it a part of my own inner success. And I think that I think it's a slippery slope in parenting. I think that children come into the world to be their own sovereign being. They came in to live their own journey and to figure out who they are authentically and how we do that when we are being controlled <laughs> being told uh, you, you know, you must get straight A's, you must be a good athlete or a musician or dancer, be something, God forbid, you just be normal, God forbid you're average. I mean, what do you do for the child that is average? And what does that even mean? That means that you didn't excel. And I, I think these are, um, these are things that cause siblings um, to have rivalry because one child is elevated because it has more success. You know, I, I actually, uh, one of the things that Dr. Trevally said that I, I found really interesting is she says sometimes the child that rebels is the child that is living their authentic authenticity. The child is actually more secure. The child that's pleasing is the child that's just trying to be what you need. The child that's pushing back might be the healthier child. And I never thought of it like that. Yeah. And I look at my own child and absolutely I was a child that was pleasing. Yeah. I, I, you know, we, there's a, 
there's a very easy trap to fall into where we think because parenting is hard that it's unselfish, but it's actually, it actually can be incredibly selfish if we think we own our children just because they came through us and because we, you know, we did sacrifice um, our bodies, our time, <laughs> you know, our sleep, our if, you know, things that sometimes we'd rather be doing other things. So we think that that gives us this ownership, but really it's only about holding space and, and being the thing that the rebel or the pleaser can crash against, but that is not contingent. It's just, it's a safe, it's a safe place, not a controlled place because I mean, my God, we all know that there is, we don't control anything, let no. alone our children. No. And it was interesting. There, there was much, you know, what you said, I wanted to unpack, but it was interesting when you were mentioning success and you mentioned, you know, you defined it in, in that moment it, by careers, you know, and, and that even though these children hadn't, teenagers hadn't necessarily excelled at school, they all, they all found great professional careers. And, and the thing that I find interesting when it comes to attachment that you're talking about and, and, and how Finland plays it with, with more time and more time as a family is that if we define success as having love and happiness in our lives, true love and happiness, where we feel it in our hearts, that comes from relationships. It doesn't come from jobs and it, and it feeds into jobs often. You know, there was a Harvard study that followed, I don't even know how many people for like 60 years. Oh, I, I watched that. It was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they were all the, the, the happiest, most successful of the group foundationally had solid relationships. Yeah. And that is, and that is where if you can parent someone so that they are capable of having those relationships and that they define success in those relationships, not just in money, house, car, vacation, they will be happier. And that comes back to, as I understand it, attachment, you know, and there's this, this really, I find tough idea where our kids grow up strong by, you know, letting them sit in the corner and cry or, you know, crying all night because we don't want them sleeping in our bed or, um, you know, that they can't be needy to us, but by allowing them to be needy to us, it teaches them to feel secure in life that they can trust others and they can trust relationships. And so I'm not really asking a question here. I guess I'm just going, I'm rambling on in this. No, but I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that when you're looking at beginning with the end in mind, what type of a child, you know, when I have, when I think of my child being grown up, how do I want that child to be? And we think about what the child's going to do. But one thing is for sure, because I coach some very successful people. In fact, I, I would say most of my clients are, you know, from a work perspective, very, very successful, deeply hurting from a relationship perspective, oftentimes numerous marriages or in marriages where they're broken and they can't speak their truth because you know, men crying and saying, I'm just a paycheck. My wife has no idea what I think and feel. 
no idea. And I'm scared to tell her that I cannot keep this pace any longer. And I cannot keep up one more, another Mercedes and this and this and this and the Rolex watch. And I cannot keep this up, but I'm a failure if I stop it. Or the woman that's trying to be perfect and skinny enough and this enough and that enough and big boobs enough and on and on and on um, because they don't feel they can be their authentic self. Well, I think much of what you're talking on is uh, what if we taught kids how to be in relationships? And starting with one thing, I, I view self-esteem. I thought it was out there. It's, it's something that you get, mm-hmm. but it's something you give yourself. You esteem yourself, self-esteem. You esteem yourself. Well, how do we esteem ourselves? Well, we have to, I think um, the root of it is understand how our, our own communication, not just with others, but with ourselves. And I think that is a very good point that you brought up. I think I now believe, you know, what we do for money, it's great if we enjoy what we do for money. I love my job, but it's what I do for money. It's not who I am. I absolutely love my work and there's value in it. And I have motivation in helping other people find their career paths, but it's not a definition. It's an extension, but it's not a definition of who I am um, deep in my core. And I think that's one of the things that helping children, in my opinion, be good communicators will change their lives, helping them be active listeners, helping them have empathy. And to me, empathy is a very, very important emotion because it helps you understand what someone else is thinking and feeling, including yourself. And I think it, what I've come to realize from talking with clients, and I'm very privileged that people share their pain and their stories with me, is that I, I, I mean, I don't know from a psychological point of view if this is accurate. This is just something that I have, I've um, gleaned from hearing people's stories. People seem to get married to be fixed or to fix. So that is from a wound from your childhood. So I didn't get the love I, I needed in my childhood. So I'm going to give it to a person so they'll never leave me. Or I didn't get the love from my childhood. So I'm going to marry somebody so they will be everything to me. And so, you know, I had this client say to me that they met this most perfect person. This person buys me everything and they take me on trips and buys me whatever I want, pre-predicts whatever I need. And, you know, God answered my prayers. Like it, it's perfect. And I said to this individual, I said, well, did, did God answer his prayers? And she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, did he pray for a needy person? And she just looked at me and she kind of smiled and she goes, oh my God, I never thought of it like that. And I said, that isn't love. That's, that's a deeply wounded man who's scared you're going to leave him and, and, and is doing everything possible. But where did those wounds start in you that you have to find somebody who has to do all this stuff for you or in him that he has to, to me, the happiest relationships are, I'm, I'm happy in myself. My partner's happy in himself and, or herself, and we're going to share what we have inside with each other and be each other's champions. And, and I think that strong parenting will also create strong marriages or relationships um, because you're going in it not to be fixed. You're going in it to share a life with somebody. And uh, I think that that is, if you want to measure how I would, I don't even like the word successful anymore in, in terms of how we, how the world views it, because it, it, there's so much anxiety and stress in trying to be successful. But to me, 
it's in the relationships that we hold. And I, and, and that is, comes back to that documentary that you, you talked about that's that study. That was it. Even the, another doctor the happiest people on earth, it's called happy happiness or happy maybe. And it came down to relationships and, and, and the value of how we love and the value of, of being loved not for what we do or what we can provide for somebody just because we're loved. Who wants to be loved because I can buy you all this stuff or love because I'm a good dancer or musician or, or whatever. It's, we nice, all for, just, it's nice for a night. Yeah. Nice for a night. Yeah. So <laughs> week, but anyway, those are some of my understandings now. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just taking the piss a little bit, but it's um, it does, it does come back to the, the parents and their relationship, because it's the mirror of which the children are going to see. And sometimes parents do have to separate. They're just, their lives aren't going the right. They're, they're not, we have to choose every day. We have to choose our children. We have to choose to be present. We have to choose each other in our relationship. And when you and your partner no longer feel like choosing each other and there's, you know, and we can get more into this and it ends up having to separate, then you still have to make the choice of how are we going to reflect this to our children because they're going to fucking learn it and possibly do what they're going to do. One of two things they are going to do the exact opposite yeah. <laughs> or they're going to do exactly the same that, you know, that, that, that the parents do. And it's so much harder today. Not that I shouldn't say that the idea that, you know, a village raises a child has to do with the, with lessening the burden, you know, and allowing, cause it's a lot of work for those who don't have kids listening. It's a lot of work and you have to grieve a lot. You have to grieve your life that you had prior to, you know, you had spontaneous trips and, and sex whenever you wanted, and you had fancy dinners. And now all of a sudden there's a baby at your hip, or there's these different things as you know, the child grow that you have to keep grieving. And if you don't grieve those things, if you don't face those things, they, be, they become grudges, they become resentments. And then because you don't feel like you can resent your child, you end up resenting your partner in the process. And it creates a really challenging situation for a couple to thrive. in. And it goes back to that's that is the the core of of it for a child if you know if it can be and of course great people come happy loving wonderful people come from divorced homes but if you can hold on to that it's worth holding on to you know through through the the hardest and the worst of it but you have to be you know consciously making it better and um you know it's I think this, you know, part of it comes back to if we go full circle to where, you know, where you were talking about this idea of like life as it is versus the pursuit of happiness, pursuit of happiness being, we need to create this perfect thing, perfect children, perfect relationship versus admitting that you're in the shit, that it is sometimes very shitty. (laughs) And all that life that you want is, is only happening right in front of you. Like the plans for the perfect kid and winning the awards and the perfect university and the perfect job, that's, you don't own that. You don't own that for yourself and you don't own that for your children. So you have to like be with your partner in all that. And then there's all of a sudden this kind of 
realness and like lessening of the expectations of all of it. You can just enjoy being in the shit together, right? I, I, I think, I mean, it's easier for me to say it than it is to do it because. But think, think about Joel, like when, if you, we, it's not that we don't want to have success, but we stop chasing something that we can't catch mm-hmm. and we put different perspective on it. How, I mean, everyone's struggling with anxiety and where is that coming from? Because nobody feels like enough and everybody's trying to Instagram their way to, you know, be an influencer or whatever. Look at me, look at me. And and we're just creating more stress. So what if, what if we could dial back and understand that all the messiness and maybe the perfections in the imperfection, Joel, maybe that's not it. And maybe understanding that, you know, even the kids that we see that grow, grow up and they so-called super successful, they've got their struggles as well. It didn't mean, it doesn't mean they did life better. You know, yeah, I, I kind of think of it like fantasy parenting. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm super guilty of posting perfect pictures on Instagram of me and the kids and stuff like that. I've never seen your Instagram, just so you know. (laughs) It's curated fucking glory and it's total BS because it's just the best moments. But it's like, it is that fantasy parenting and and that's not, it's not what it is, right? And I think it's tough for other parents when they see such, you mean, you know, um, you're looking at perfection and you're thinking, why can't my life be like that? Or their life looks perfect and I'm not... I'm not, am I, am I um, Montessori enough? Am I organic <laughs> enough? Am I this enough? I don't know. At my age right now, I'm just, I'm just done with the bullshit of that kind of, for me, I, I actually don't even want people to know much about me. I have my professional work that I do, but my actual private, private, like this is a big reach for me to share some of this at this level. It's not that um, it's uh, the, my biggest take, what I want people to take away is trying to be real because that's where the piece is at. There is no such thing as perfection. It does not exist. And even if you think your kids are all perfect and every, you know what, I mean, even when you ask about a kid, what are your, what does your child do? I don't know. They're a kid. Like, why do they have to do anything? And even if they are doing something, you know, like one mom said, her kid said to her, well, why, did, why don't you just go post this all over Facebook so everyone else can see my award as well? And and the kid knew, read the mom like a book, like, you know, you, this award isn't even about me. It's about you. And honestly, if there had been Facebook back then, I, I don't do Facebook, but if there was, I would have done that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fucking kids up. It's oh, yeah. not good. You're it's lucky Facebook good. wasn't around when you were, that would have been a tough. Oh no. That would have been, been, <laughs> been a real, enough that I, real you know, train wreck. <laughs> made a, you know, made a shrine of your awards. I, I don't look back on those moments and think those are proud parenting moments. I mean, the, the, the whatever pillow fights, magic cookies that we did, or the reading your dad, re, re, listening to dad, your dad read to you guys are, or play you a song like those are moments that I think help mold you guys. And, and the awards are just the awards. I mean, I think that maybe running taught you a lot about commitment and dedication, but the constant need to win to, I don't, I don't know. I mean, how was that for you when you look at your own journey outside of me? It's, it's still something that like, it's not worth, I don't look at it as as something that requires me to analyze anymore. I spent enough time doing that. Um, and that's where letting go comes into play, right? Not 
living in the wound of it because I, there's a lot of elite athletes or artists or entrepreneurs. And I, and I say, this is, is the young people, academics, right. Who put a lot of pressure on themselves when they're young and that pressure informs, you know, self-confidence in an ability to show up in the world. And it's total BS in the long run because all of it's fleeting. You know, if you value your mind and your intelligence, that's going to, going to be what you end up feeling insecure about. If you value your fitness, you know, if you value your looks, well, one day you're going to shrivel away and just be, you know, the, the essence of who you are is not the thing that you are attaching to. But it's part of the human experience to go through those things. And you just need to know when to say no. You've, that's the lesson is, is learning when to say no for yourself. There's nothing wrong with pushing yourself into a really, really tough spot. Like I did with running, whether that was a practice that was unbelievably grueling, you know, something that a 12 year old or 13 year old, maybe never should have gone through, maybe totally fine. Um, you know, or, or, or the races that you're just absolutely terrified to do, but now, you know, you can do them and then you get to choose on the other side of that. And I think that's where I look back and I say, no, it was great. You know, I wish I partied more in high school, but because the part of the downside for me, but this could just be me. I know plenty of runners and elite athletes who have no problem having a good time was I didn't know how to have a good time. And I, I just wish I had figured that out while I was in it. And maybe that's an interesting segue into, you know, where you stand today or along the way with you know, play versus routine uh, for kids. You know, you kind of touched on it, like how important is just letting them be kids for as long as possible? Well, I did. I, you know, I've, I read a study and again, back to Finland, because I quite admire how they approach education mm -hmm. and they did massive amounts of research prior to implementing some of their um, new schooling techniques. But one of the things that they came to realize is that play regu re regulates dopamine mm -hmm. and serotonin in the brain. So take play away from a child and their, their anxiety is going to go up. So it's actually absolutely necessary for their mental health and well-being. And, and one of the other things is uh, how much learning before you get fatigue, it, you know, is appropriate. And, you know, do we want to leave work every day and somebody say, here, go home, read this, do a book report. Now do, do math homework, English homework. You got this, this, this. Oh, by the way, you've got piano and gymnastics as well. We have... Um, scheduled children literally to death. The anxiety in children, the amount of children on anxiety medicines was actually to the point it has to be medicated or um, is, is the numbers is like they've never ever seen before. Why? Because what are, we're taking play away from children. You're really a child for about 12, 13 years. That's it. Then you hit preteen. And there's the normal looks conscious that happens. It's such a part of the brain of and course, normal yeah. risk taking. So you've got this window in there. Why rob that child of play? 
I, I don't think there's anything wrong with routine. We're going to do this, this, and this. We were very structured even in the house, you know, with certain things. But play is a massive part of how a child develops. And I think that um, when you've gone to school six hours, seven hours, and you've got homework, and you've got activities that have, uh, require practicing as well, that's too much. Yeah, It's too yeah. much for a child. So to me... That is one thing that you can control in your in your child's life. I will not overschedule and I will not take away play as a punishment. You know, if they didn't perform in school, you know, uh, I'm going to take play away. Why does a child have to get straight A's? Why do they even have to get straight B's or whatever? Why? It doesn't mean they're they're going to fail in life. Maybe they're not even enjoying the subject. How about you go learn something you don't want to learn and go do that every day? You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'll probably get pushed back or somebody, you know, well, willy nilly, let a child do whatever they want. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I think when you begin with the end in mind and we have enough research to know how the brain works of a child and, 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 um, and know that anxiety, they're, I mean, they're all living in children, living in anxiety. You're just a child. Why should you have anxiety as a child? Mm-hmm. Stresses are going to happen as adults and there are normal stresses in a childhood, but some of the stresses are what we're putting on them. Yeah. This is where we have to hold on to our kids for longer. And it, it does not fit this, the, the way that our, you know, our, our society, which is, is it's ancient. It's, it's so incredibly outdated, but it still is predicated on this need of like, Kids have to go to school at a certain time. Well, who the fuck says that you learn better at 8 a.m.? Like that's at 8 a.m. You're ready to learn. Like we know enough now to know that we have peaks and valleys in our learning yet in our attention and all these different things yet it's 8 a.m. to. Yeah. Well, Finland did that too. They shortened the school day because they figured out this is the window that children learn the best. And they have one of the highest graduation rates because children like being at school. They like learning. They're not being, it's not a punitive learning system. Yeah. And And what you were saying about play was just that it's not allowing them to do whatever they want. Although that's an incredibly invaluable thing for them to do as well by letting them go out. And it's, that's teaching them how to, to think and children, we know this, we have a daughter who is, who goes to play therapy to deal with her anxieties um, and, and who she is today as a, as a young little lady play therapy is how she plays out her, her, her dramas and her traumas. And if we deny them that, you know, play is how they, they exercise imagination. It's how they exercise creativity. So to say that a, a, because a kid is playing or because a kid is adventuring in the creek, all of a sudden they're not learning on the, the timeline that's been established. And so really it, it comes back to the timelines, the issue. And the other side of that is that when you send your kid to school all day, and I totally understand how hard it is. We all like life is, is atrociously expensive today as it has been for a long time. You cannot make it on one income, one normal income, Canada and America. Uh, and so both people have to work. School becomes a daycare. But as soon as you put a kid in school, it, teachers can be amazing, but, but you are losing your ability to hold that space for your kids 
to be the sounding board that of the values that you want them to, to hear, not that you want to impose on them, but you lose that because when a kid comes home from a full day of school and activities and they only have one hour or two hours with you before they got to go to bed and do it all over again, generally speaking, they're going to want to do one of two things in those one or two hours. They're going to want to numb themselves with, you know, video games or Netflix, or they're going to lash out at you because all the emotion that they weren't allowed to feel and all the emotion that they weren't allowed to express in a controlled environment where they need to be on their best behavior, it comes out with you because you're the safe person. Yeah. But when you lose that, or when that's when that, sorry, when that's when that time is, is used for, think about, well, where's the time where now you're just connecting? Or where's the time where you're holding the space where they get comfortable enough, where they share ideas and they, and they want to learn from you and they want to hear stories about your life and all these different things that that's gone. And I think that that is one of the most critical elements to, for a child's development is to have. Well, I remember my, my mom saying one time when it was time to go back to school and we were back to school shopping for our clothes. That's a very positive memory that I have. We, lots of kids in our family. And that was the one day we got to have our mom to ourselves and we would go to school shopping to get a, new, a couple of new outfits and new runners. Um, and um, the store clerk said, Oh, you must be so excited that, you know, the kids are going back to school. And she said, actually, no, I really miss them when they go back. And I remember listening to that thinking she likes me being home and likes me. She likes me like she wants me around her. And that was pretty special because, you know, you oh can't wait to they're in school. Oh my God. The kids are driving me crazy. Can't wait. You know, that's the narrative that we hear. And even they even make commercials about it, you know, get the kids out of your hair and, which is fine some of the time, like because it totally is. I mean, you don't have to feel like I, to- good I get it. I get it. <laughs> but I think one of the one of the things, if you want to talk about successful parenting, I think if your child knows that you like them being around you and you enjoy who they are. I mean, it, it's different. I mean, you got a two-year-old, you've got a newborn. Now there's different stages and different ways we experience joy with different stages. But when a child feels like they're in the way, that is a big hurt. That is a big hurt. And I think that that if we can do that well, where uh, I know that I'm wanted and loved, not for who, not for what I can do, but who I am, or I'm not in the way of my parents' life, I am part of their life. I'm not in the way of their life. I think those are pretty big messages to give your child. And I think, as you touched on before, the struggles in adult life, I think that when we can communicate better and understand, and our parents have given us a toolbox of tools to use that in life, meaning emotional tools or ways to de-escalate it. That is, if you want to use the word successful, successful parenting, that, that your child has, when they're ready to leave home, they have um, some of the emotional tools that you're going to need in life. And I think that comes from being grounded in your values, uh, grounded in, in how you're loved and grounded in Maybe that I don't, I hate the word true meaning of success, but I'm telling you, man, from my experience personally, and from what I deal with the clients, there's a lot of pain in that word, a lot of pain. The, 
the tool that you're talking about, as I understand it today, um, as a, you know, as a grown man who's gone through it as a, uh, his own stuff, as a parent, as a son, all of it is that the tool is, is in creating emotional intelligence for your children is actually allowing them to feel their emotions because if they don't feel their emotions, what, what a backtrack, the emotions are there for a reason. When our, when uh, an event creates trauma in our bodies of some kind, whether it's in like a little, somebody says something nice or not nice, excuse me, or something happens to us and we feel trauma. If we don't, the, 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 the response is there to process that trauma through the emotions, through crying, through tears, yeah. through a bit of anger. And so when we teach our children by literally allowing them to feel all of those emotions, they become much more emotionally intelligent. You know what? My youngest, or sorry, I keep saying my youngest, my middle girl, she always says, dad, just let me cry. I need to just cry this out. She's six years old. And I'm like, shit, she's right. You know, because you can't do that at school, right? And you can't, and even we, it's an inconvenience to us sometimes. I'm very notorious for it. Yeah, that little one of yours, I, she was over, overheard a conversation I was having with um, Jana. And uh, I was talking about something I, I was trying to set a boundary and I wasn't comfortable doing it. And was, you know, just sharing my thoughts on with Jana and, and Roman pot pipes up and he goes, she says, but grandma, you're just speaking your truth and your feelings matter as well. And you're not doing anything bad to that person. You're just saying how you feel. And I'm like, you're six years old <laughs> saying this to me. And, and she was so spot on, you know, like, very aware that you can speak your truth and you can say how you feel. The challenge you, for them is holding on to that. Yeah. For, and for, you, for the they're, life, they're right? there. I am this age now, 15, 59 almost. And I'm still trying to, Oh, well, if I set this boundary, who am I going to hurt? And am I even responsible for that hurt? And, and, and still processing some of those emotions. And I think when we talk about successful parenting, it's not producing kids that, you know, have a highly academic or whatever sport or whatever, you know, music drama, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if your kids are in those activities, but that isn't the measure of success. The measure of success is a child that's grounded in the knowledge that they are loved mm -hmm. and they are enough and they know how to esteem themselves. And that when we can do that, if we're able to, that child, mm -hmm. um, I believe their, their ability to feel and experience happiness and be in um, good relationships, that, that is the measure to me of, okay, I've helped my child. I've, I've be able to see their goodness. What about as a parent um, or sorry, not as a parent, as an, as a individual who you are while you're parenting and learning how to adopt those boundaries so that you can take care of yourself and make sure uh, you, you are healthy emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, so that, it, you know, because if we give everything to our children, then what the fuck is left for us to be a good parent, to be a good partner? So yeah, where, that's a where very, is that in your journey? Yeah, I did not, I did not have any boundaries there at all. I think that eventually um, you must. 
I think now where I'm at right now, or I started it maybe in your teen years, trying to find myself outside of parenting and, um, and then you've had have enormous guilt, or at least I experienced that if I'm not doing something for my kids, then, you know, whether it's still going to make muffins, I got to do this, pick up that, make sure, you know, everything's perfect. The laundry's done, the school lunches. Like, I think that who am I outside of the role of a mother? I don't know if I could separate that emotion and still feel like a good mother. Um, you know, I would see girls who, oh, they're going for pedicures and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And I, I would think at the time while they're being selfish or, and now I'm thinking, well, maybe they're the healthy ones and they were just treating themselves and doing the self-esteem. Whereas I'm trying to be a martyr and a perfect mother is never saying no to any of their needs. And, uh, I don't, I didn't do that well. I mean, now at the age that I'm at, my children are growing and, you know, my business is, um, you know, productive and, and uh, I can, I can now spend time on myself. Like if I want to, you know, I do my hair on a regular basis. I like certain things and I'm able to do that. But even, even now, sometimes I feel guilt about it because I think, oh, I could help the kids out more or I could do this for the kids. And so that's still a, a balancing act for me. I think a lot of my friends, when we've, we, I actually did a podcast with my friends on this and a lot of them feel enormous guilt when they're not doing for their kids. I mean, when you get a message, what are you doing? That means where you babysit. <laughs> AKA, yeah. And it's not that and it's okay to ask. It's also okay to say no. And I never felt okay to say no. Whereas now sometimes it's just not going to work. Um, and, you know, I've got nine grandchildren now. So, you know, if I babysit them all every weekend, I'm never going to have a weekend. I was telling right? that to Jana, that's because you got to remember that mom has nine grandchildren and counting, right? Like that's a lot of, in, in the way that we're set up, as a society, you know, one, it's like, okay, you work your ass off as a parent and as an employee for 25, 35, 40 years, and then you retire and you go to, you know, you go to Mexico eight months a year. And so, and then, but it's like, oh, well, I don't get to have that because now I got to look after the grandchildren, which the grandchildren need that, that Zen, like just unconditional love from their grandparents, but it's, it's hard. It's, you still have to find yeah, it's a hard balance. I could never, some of some, and again, I'm not faulting them. Kudos. Namaste. That it's amazing. Some of them go away for two, three months and they're, you know, they're traveling and I don't know what this, I miss, I would miss them. I really enjoy. In fact, I don't even see them enough. I'm working too much right now and I'm trying to find that balance that I teach other people to have. <laughs> and uh, because I'd like to see the, grand, the grandchildren more than I actually do see them. But I do think that self-care of finding that balance between parenting, grandparenting and self-care for time for yourself. One thing that I have done is um, I don't book clients very, well, very rarely until 11. I walk for two hours or I'll do Pilates and meditation because I'm busy most of the day, the rest of the day, right into the evening sometimes. And so that time I do allow myself, I take, and I take one day a week where I try to go see my mom and, and a couple of the grandchildren and I rotate which ones, but I don't know, that's a challenge still for me. And I still feel guilty. If I say no, I feel like I'm not doing enough. So I, I, I always out. make her feel like shit for it too but I'm always totally joking. <laughs> yeah. And I am not I one love of my, to just press a, just to yeah, like, well, <laughs> one thing my kids will know is I'm not, um, I've got a, 
uh, I'm too, I'm very sensitive still. I'm not, uh, you know, where I feel like if they're, if they're poking or joking, I take it, oh my God, I'm not doing enough. I've upset them. <laughs> and so I haven't, where they are just kidding that piece. I haven't worked out yet. That's still my pleasing wound. Yeah, we got to Well, we're going to go there because what, what we've kind of skirted around a few times is this idea of when you awaken to what is the root cause of why we are reactionary or trying to own our kids and all these different things. Um, what is the awakened when we awaken to why that's happening is the beginning of being able to undo it. But I want to take a moment to go back to a moment in time when that wasn't the case for you in the sense that you, you know, you were embarking on what must've been your first parenting course. And I remember it because I remember you were talking about it with dad and I was like, Oh fuck, everything's going to like change. Like there's going to be so many more chores and it's going to be so much stricter. And, and so I don't know if it was a weekend or whatnot. I think it was at my school gymnasium that you were going to this parenting course, but I want to know like what it was that drove you to do that parenting course. What the heck was it even on? I can't imagine it's still even relevant today, but. Uh, well, no, I went to that. Was, I, I remember that. Good for you. Meg Hickling was the name of the keynote. Speaker. I thought it was Barbara Calarosa. Who's that? Is that anybody? Uh, Barbara Calarosa. I also, I also uh, went to uh, hear you had her. A face. You had a face. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't remember who, who wrote what book. So namaste ladies, but it, it was, um, I went to one siblings without rivalry, how to oh, yeah. talk to your children. So they will listen and how to listen to your children. So they will talk also went to one on speaking of sex. I'm sure you were so pleased about that and how to talk to your children about sex. But the, but the first ones that, what did you, the, what, what the, the first two for? that I went to was uh, siblings without rivalry and how to talk to your children. So they will listen and how to listen to your children. So they will talk. Uh, they were great workshops. They were just supposed, they were there to give you tools on, um, you know, that your, your children, like one of the things that she said is, um, we, why don't children talk authentically or honestly to their parents? Because their parents don't want to know the truth. I don't want to do my homework. I don't like this subject. I don't like this person in class. I lied to you about this. I'm not at my friend's house. I'm really, you don't want the truth or, or you can't handle the truth or you will be mad and punished. And maybe sometimes certain consequences are needed, but when, what if you could create a relationship with your children where they could tell you what they thought and felt, and they could feel safe with what they needed to say, even if it would disappoint you. And so it was a lot on that. This For that time, that was rather new ideas. I don't know if I embraced that well, but one of the things that she, you know, she had said was about, you know, how, if the way we talk to our children helps them learn to listen, but then we need to listen to them so they will talk as well. So do you talk at your child or do you talk with your child? And so, you know, and she gave us examples. I mean, it was a long time ago, so I don't remember the whole thing, but um, I did go through a stage where I was almost obsessed with parenting workshops because again, you're trying to be the perfect parent. You want, I want to know I got this right. I think one of my biggest goals was to know I was a good parent and I can look back and I can say for sure, I loved my kids so much. 
don't know if I could say I was a, I, I don't yeah, even. I think that's it. the measure though, isn't it, mom? Or Suzanne, isn't it the measure that if your children know that you love them once they go into adulthood and that you're there for them, I don't think it matters what, what else you got wrong. I don't think that people. I, I, I hope they don't feel like they have to please me anymore. Uh, I, you know, I, um, I want them to be happy in their own lives. And I've worked really hard on trying not to interfere and allowing them to be in their own lives and do things how they want. And I think that's also another journey that you, you take at this stage because you think, oh, well, maybe you should do it this way or that way or whatever. And it's not my journey anymore. Yeah. And, and, the, and one of the things that's always, because where I'm going, where I was going with what I was saying is that at some point, as a child becomes a teenager, becomes an adult, they're going to know that you did the best you could at some point. That might not be till they're in their 40s or 50s, but at some point, they're going to realize that life is hard. I think it happens when you have kids. It doesn't take too long to realize, wait a minute. Like, yeah, maybe that's the moment, right? Like, I think it's it's the moment, like, like Levi, you know, with having twins and then uh, the three-year-old. And it's like, mom, you had one more than this. How? And it's, and it's crazy. Right. But where, yeah. where we have to, the, th- the thing that I find interesting is, is teaching that lesson while they're young, Gur, without burdening them with your pains and with your, with the things that cause you to trigger because they don't need, deserve, they're not a co-parent, they're not a counselor, they're not a, they're not an emotional support dog you know, they are p- children trying to live their own lives. So f- creating an environment in which there's where you can feel your pains as a, as a parent that are there and you don't need to hide them necessarily, but that that doesn't transfer. Yeah. I don't think I did that piece. Well, I mean, I come from my, my mom is incredibly loving, incredibly but I come from a lot of pain, a lot of dysfunction. And, you know, there were times it was unbearable and I don't know if I could have hidden it from my family. I don't know because of the tears or the things that I was experiencing would unfold into, um, I mean, you try to hide it and I don't think it's possible because I think there were, and I think there were probably times where I crossed boundaries and shared too much of my, my pain. I, I went through a stage where I, I was really very aware through counseling and books that I was reading that skeletons in your closet, like what you don't heal can, it just becomes generational and generational. So trying to heal the story, not blame. I don't think blame serves any purpose at all, but heal the dysfunction from my family and heal that so that I'm not now transferring it onto my children and then they do to the grandchildren. And the by trying that you carry as a result of your, yeah. Family, and, but, but your family's dysfunction, right? Yeah. So, but, but some things get repeated. Yeah, no, totally. But I'm saying yeah, like, you're like, the carrier of it. Uh, yeah. And, and then repeating behaviors that you know aren't good behaviors, but they're learned in your life. And then you repeat them. And, and that, so I, I definitely think I would have burdened my children with some of the, my own pains and transferred them onto them. Um, what was the time that you began to see that happening? You know, because that is true. Of course it's true. We all do it. I don't, I don't know a parent that 
that that hasn't done that, especially when when there's divorce and you lose your you know you lose your support person. And so, well, there's these these kids, but that, that seem like good little support people. But where where did you all of a sudden realize oh, how I am doing this is a result of what I am feeling inside about myself, and it's just mirroring in all these different situations. When did you start to all of a sudden see it? How did you start to see it? Did you wake up? When did you and how did you wake up to it? Well, a lot of the things in my family were hidden for a long time and then it exploded. (laughs) It came out and it exploded and there was no more hiding. And then that was pretty raw because you bury something for a long time and you don't talk about it. And then things come out and you find out things about different siblings and, uh, I don't know, Joel, that's a pretty complex. I think that's a journey. I don't think it was a moment. I think that I don't even think I realized how that actually was my counseling part start where I thought I I, I don't have the tools to, to deal with this and I'm going to go to counseling. And that was really the journey back to myself. Mm-hmm. And, and that looked like a lot of different things because I don't know if I knew myself outside of being the good girl and the good sister and trying to be a perfect mom. And so I think that was a start. And it also became the root of a lot of very dysfunctional behavior in myself because I started thinking, well, you know, maybe if I'm prettier or skinnier or more successful at work, certain things will be different in my marriage or certain things will be different with how I view myself. The interesting thing is, is that, you know, even as I became successful professionally, the pain was still there. Mm -hmm. It's not how we heal our pain. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not how we heal it. No. And, and, and I had great pain when my children left and traveled great pain because I felt like they, I'd abandoned them and they left because of their pain and I didn't know how to fix it. So I I don't know. um, I don't know the answer to that question. I think I'm still searching for that, but I have worked very hard on trying to see my own roles and not guilting anyone and also not guilting myself. And, and those patterns of the behaviors, you repeat that a million times and that's, it's a hard pattern to change, but it's something that, I think that's where the, the love of yourself comes in. I no longer want to blame myself for the mistakes I've made. I did the best I could. Mm-hmm. And I do believe my children know that they're loved. I, I don't, you know, I do believe that they know, even though you come from a divorced home, that they have two good parents and both parents did the best they could. And I don't think looking back, you, you, I, I could be wrong. I don't know what your journey is. I don't even know if we've ever even had this conversation, but we weren't, parents who yelled at each other there was lots of kindness in the home towards each other we weren't parents who I, I there wasn't like some people when they divorced there's so much hate I, I've heard it from clients I've heard it from friends it was almost like two people in pain just broken trying to figure themselves out separately instead of together anymore and, yeah, and, and our children got lost in the middle of that yeah you just end up repeating in a divorced home situation repeating all the same things that you were with, with whoever you decide to you know, become partners with next. And hopefully somewhere on that, you end up back on this, this awakened journey is, wait a second, the behavior is a result of what feeling that feeling is a result of what experience 
that I need to undo um, or I need to forgive. I need to let go of. And it, the awareness is like, you know, to your point, you felt at capacity and in able to continue to manage, uh, deal with what was happening in your life. So you sought help. You sought a counselor who helped you shift that spotlight from the story that you're telling yourself in your head to the real story that's that's literally baked into your body. And we take that and we go, okay, now I need to embrace and acknowledge this pain that I feel. And it allows us to shift from judgment to empathy, where we can then when we're no longer in judgment and then responding out of judgment and in empathy, all of a sudden it doesn't necessarily heal or stop everything immediately, but it softens everything and it creates an environment in which healing can take place for yourself. And when you talk about healing the line, healing generations, that, that healing the line isn't you do this journey on your own as a parent, the child still has to do this journey on their own, but because they've seen and felt how you've done it, it creates that healing, that openness to healing for them. But it, I don't see it happening. And maybe correct me if I'm wrong, where you and I have to sit down and we got to bury the hatchet. We got, if that's the expression, we got to go through it all. I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's in you and it's in me. We talk about it. <laughs> get mad, get angry, go through all the emotions, go through all the feels. But if we don't actually heal it in ourselves individually, we're not actually dealing with it. It'll just come back up again. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like there's some hidden buried skeleton between us. I feel I'm speaking guilt. in general, right? I'm speaking ge in generality of for parents and, and Oh, in general. Okay. Me. I do feel with divorce, there's massive guilt attached to me because it right away it marks a failure uh, and an ending and a brokenness into a unit that was um, happy and had a lot of successes. I think that I have not healed that guilt. I'm working on it. There was, I mean, you're also raised that divorce is bad. That's how that my journey was. I was raised divorce is sinful. It's bad. It's a covenant of God. Those were beliefs that were taught to me. And then, you know, through counseling to try and understand um, you know, there isn't a person in heaven with a chart, you were divorced, you know, and somehow giving me demerits. But in my mind, there's this narrative that um, somehow I let everyone down and I'm to blame for unhappiness because decisions I made of, of my children. And so that piece I have not, I have not healed totally. But you own I, it as your, you own it as your own is what? I'm saying you are aware that it all exists in you. That that guilt uh, yes and no, because I see the pain in, in particularly my middle son and I see it in his eyes and it breaks me. He, he would love to have his, the two people he loves the most in the, not the most in the world. I'm sure. I mean, I know he's super close to you guys, but he definitely loves myself and his dad and it breaks him that we're not together. So, you know, that but I you can't, can't fix, you can't heal I can't that fix that. Right. I know yeah. that. I know and that's that the point that we're making is that it's but it makes you feel like a bad person in some some ways because you I love him so much. I love you all so much and think, well, if I hadn't made the decision, would my son wouldn't be carrying this pain, but he probably would have other things. I don't know. But that's 
divorce is tough. Sometimes you feel like you're trading one problem for another. I, I don't, I don't have those answers. I do. Um, I do think that just because people stay married, it doesn't necessarily make things better either because I, I know from people who are married and are deeply hurting and feel deeply alone and, 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 uh, and, and are doing it because they're fearful of the, of the guilt, fearful of the shame that they're going to have, and they don't want to hurt their kids. And then the people who do do it, well, I hurt my kids, but I found myself. That's a tough, tough road because you know, the end of my kid, you guys are everything. And my grandchildren, and I, you never wanted to look back and think I caused one of their biggest pains, but at some point, you know, forgiveness. And I think also too, once your kids get into their own relationships, you can realize relationships are complex. I don't want to blame anyone, but I, you know, for divorce or, you know, I'm better, he's better. It's, it's marriage is complex. And, um, you know, people, people stay married for all different reasons. We can stay married for religious reasons. We can stay married for financial reasons. We can stay married because we feel guilt. We can stay married um, because we love the person, but not in love with the person. And we exist within the framework of the home together under the same roof, but we're not experiencing a life-giving relationship, but we will stay married because we had that obligation. I don't know if there's more merit in doing it or if there's more bravery in, in leaving. I, I don't have those answers. I know for myself, I have not healed that wound. It is probably one of the things that I feel I, I, I hate even telling well, now I'm more comfortable, but in the beginning, not even telling people I'm, I'm, I'm a divorced woman because I was raised that that was yeah, shame. The shame that comes with it. The shame of it. So I, I think, my children are starting to come to have more peace around it. Um, but I don't think it's easy. And you I don't know. And it never, it never will be easy because we are human and we feel and we have, it's so easy to have that empathy for that, your child's experience in this, in a divorce, in, in their own trauma, regardless of divorce, they're going to, you know, bullying, sexual abuse, all these things that come up for children. But I'm, I'm driving, I'm, I'm trying to come back to and drive home the point that the forgiveness and the healing is, is only in you. You have to forgive yourself. And once you've, so in terms of a process, it's, I start, I'm starting to see a behavior and becoming aware of a feeling that's resulting in a behavior in, in my life, in my parenting, in my relationship. Why is that there? okay, now I understand why this was there. Maybe it was because I was, somebody was sexually abused and that created a behavior pattern of some kind. So you know why it's there. And that's the first chunk of the work. But the next chunk of the work is way harder. That's maybe not a fair statement, but it seems that way in my own mind is that I can acknowledge and be aware of a lot of things. And that means the healing has begun, but, but to be healed is to have forgiven that regardless of how bad it was and have let it go so that it no longer holds on to you regardless of whether or not your son whoever's son still holds on to it i agree i mean i remember my counselor saying to me whatever you let go of let's go of you exactly. and and but and i can i can 
hear those words and be comfortable with them and meditate on them. But then when you see pain in your child's eyes, you, you want to fix it. And there is no fixing. That's their person, that person's journey. And I also wrestle with that, you know, um, deep down inside, maybe it was selfish or maybe it is bad that you did this, you know, on, um, and that rears its head sometimes too. Which is um, the piece that needs to be forgiven. Yeah. And again, is, does it Joel, like, do I need to forgive myself for making a choice that was right for myself? Or do I need to figure forgive myself for the feelings of guilt that I have and say, I'm feeling this because I'm, I'm feeling responsible that um, it makes me feel like not a good mom, but I, I was a, I was and am a very committed mom. Mm-hmm. And I take my motherling role, mothering role very seriously. I mean, was I a perfect mom? No, I wasn't. I'm not, but very committed. So do I have to forgive myself for doing something that was right for me, but wrong for my kids? Or was it wrong for my kids? I don't know. I have not worked that through yet. The, I'm still in the process of it. And I'm 16 years you know, post-divorce. Well, these you know, things, these things do take a long time. And that's the other, you know, we've talked about fantasy parenting, fantasy, you know, fantasy life is that these things are just going to be uh, for, for, forgotten, forgiven, let go of, you know, pick your word, pick how you, you know, it all is relative to how you're making yourself feel about it. You have to, if you feel you did something wrong, then you need to forgive yourself for it. If you don't feel that you did something wrong, well, where the wrong is, 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 is knowing how broken your kids feel, mm-hmm. knowing that they felt a sense of abandonment. Um, and, and that, that is very sad to, for me that I, so my behavior caused them to have this deep rooted hurt. Those, that, that's tough for me. So the guilt comes in there and forgiving yourself for that forgiving yourself for making a decision. I mean, I was 17 years old when I got married and thank God I married a nice person. Thank goodness. Because what do you know at 17, you're a kid. I mean, you're just a kid. Um, (laughs) And I hadn't, you know, and thank goodness I married such a kind person because, you know, the narrative could have been completely different, but I didn't know myself. I, I wasn't even an I with myself. How could I be a we with anyone? When I was talking to you earlier on about we got married to fix or be fixed, I definitely wanted to love somebody so much that they would always think I'm I'm good. I will love you so much. And, um, and, and, you know, like I said, thank goodness it was a good person because we had lots of good years and we have wonderful, wonderful kids, but there is a sense of, um, you know, when it comes to parenting, I don't think there's anything in most people's lives that they do not have more guilt associated with because, because you, you love your kids so much. You want to get it right. And what the fuck is right you know, you know, do you overparent? Do you underparent? Do you do lots of activities? Do you do none? Do you homeschool? Do you Montessori? Do you just, you know, like, what is it? I think for me, my understanding is if I, if my children know that they're enough and my kids can learn how to esteem themselves and know that they were wanted, I'm going to be okay with that. If that's all I got, that's where I'm going to be okay with it. I don't know how, how all these other things, I don't know what the answers are. I feel like I've accidentally and completely unintentionally put you on the hot seat. 
that was not that was not the intent. I wasn't trying. No, to we never really talk about make this feel like no, you. But okay. people people are 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 getting they're getting a a vulnerable glimpse into just that it's it's a journey that doesn't really have a lot of clarity as you're in it. It has moments of it, but as a whole, even looking back, there's it's still you're you know you're just, you're still on it as a grandparent, and and so. And I think that that's really the spirit of what I hoped to convey was just to shed some light on if you're feeling any of these things that you've heard in the, you know, our, our conversation, you're not alone. <laughs> you are definitely, definitely not alone, despite what you see on all the Instagrams and all the internets and all the Facebooks. Yeah. And I think that's <laughs> something that, again, with, with, um, speaking my truth and being vulnerable and and that is that divorce is messy parenting's messy the perfection is in the imperfection forgive everybody everything including yourself and success there is no outer success without inner success and to me my inner success is completely redefined from what it was years ago and maybe by the time i'm you know, 80, it'll be redefined again, but where I'm at right now, inner success is about the kindness that I hold for myself and others and the generosity of thought, you know, where we can see someone struggle and we don't judge it. You say, I've been there. I know it's okay. It's you're tired. It's hard to have a baby all night, or it's hard to not feel appreciated, or it's hard to be struggling financially or all the things that life holds for us, as opposed to um, the, the success of, you know, the perfect house with the perfect Instagram moment. And that, you know, like if I have to see one more Christmas picture with everybody with matching jammies on, I'm sorry, seriously. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. Did you do that? Sorry if you did. I don't see your Instagram. We do it. We janibize the PJs every year. The kids love it. Whether or not you need to post about it is another matter. Well, I, I mean, I, <laughs> you guys do honestly more than anyone I know as a family. Mud fights and all that, and it's super cool. Some of the experiences that you that you 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 have and enjoy with your children, and and I think that. I don't know. To me, that is the realness that I, you know, I think maybe a good ending note before I got to go back to being a parent is something you just said, where we need to come back to compassion for each other and for our children. You know, if something goes wrong for our children, we act out of our own anger, our own anxieties, our own triggers. You know, we're not being compassionate to them. We're not holding the space for them. But you took that one step further, which I really liked and, and said, now, how about to all the other parents and all the other people out there? Because we are not very gentle with each other as a human race, especially these days. Now, we are more gentle with each other in person than we appear to be online. And we are more alike than we are different when we come together versus what we see. And we can get kind of lost in that, but still, if you're, if you know, you go, you're in a shopping mall and you see some mom with her kids screaming and you, your, your first thought is judgment or you're, you're hungry and you're tired and you're coming home from work and you're late picking up your kid and somebody cuts in front of you and you think that person's an asshole, you know, well, what if that person's mom is in hospital? And they're actually in a real, real emergency in a rush. And what if that person at the grocery store whose kid is screaming hasn't slept in three nights? And so 
and maybe at the end of it, forget all the rules. It just comes down to being compassionate for ourselves, for our children. And for I love our, that. I, I love that so much. It's such a good note to end on. I, I remember years ago when my whole stage of life where I'm going to tons of workshops, I went and listened to Robin Sharma speak and he wrote the monk who sold his Ferraris and as well as numerous other bestsellers, but he touched on um, compassion and being, uh, I don't think he used the word generous of thought, but where we're, we, we think positive about a person instead of negative, but he had made this vow to himself. I'm going to start complimenting or recognizing you know, when I see somebody struggling or I see something good, I'm going to say something kind about it. So he sees this girl in a mall and um, you touched on this, that the girl's daughter is having a tantrum. And I mean, she's good at it. It is screaming, flailing. We know the kids got it down. And the mom is standing there saying, just breathe, Jennifer, just breathe, just calm down, Jennifer. And I'm like, holy cow, man, I would just be losing it. I think this is amazing how she's handling this. So he goes over and he says to her, I have to say, um, you know, you are doing a great, great job talking to talking to your um, talking to Jennifer. Like I heard, you know, great job. And she turns to him and says, I'm Jennifer. <laughs> I'm Jennifer. And he he had a, he says, well, you're doing a great job yeah. calming yourself <laughs> down. And and uh, I just thought, wow, what a great story to share. But you know what? If you want to find find happiness, find compassion, find empathy, and and find that for yourself, and find that for others. Stop judging. Parenting stuff. Uh, marriage is amazing, but it's it can also be tough. And it just stop the judging. There's so much hurt you're projecting onto others and including yourself and your children. And, you know, we can end on that note. If, if you want to, you want to find that inner success, start with compassion mm-hmm. because it's not easy, not easy. And, and, you know, when we're looking through that lens, we're, we're going to be more empathetic and we're going to remove judgment. And, and if we stop judging others, we're going to stop judging ourselves. And there's so much sadness when we're in that because it's sadness to other people, but it's sadness to ourselves. I know I've experienced it many times. I'm not enough. I got to do more. I got to do more because I'm judging myself and comparing myself to someone else. And what if we could have compassion because parenting is, is, is not easy. Uh, I'm going to end on sharing a story that I do a lot of interview prepping and this particular client is, uh, is military actually. And he was, he had to relay a story for an interview of a time that he was angry with somebody at work and how he handled it. So he's describing a situation of this co this coworker who used to work be a good, good coworker, but then now um, he uh, uh, apparently his, his wife had a baby six or seven months ago. And he said, I have postpartum. And my client goes, now that's bullshit because how does a guy have postpartum? And I'm listening and being the active listener and he's he's describing the situation. He goes, the guy is, you know, he's miserable every day and he's going on and on describing. Anyway, it escalates to the point that he ends up involving a manager and the manager says to him, well, he's got postpartum. And he goes, what the heck? How does a guy have postpartum? And he goes, have you ever 
held a baby that won't start scream, stop screaming for five, six hours for six months. Do you know that their baby has some problems and now the mom's got um, postpartum, that baby never stops crying. Have you ever been in that situation? And my client just thought it was bullshit. And I said to him, have you ever been in that situation? I said, have you ever held a baby even for five minutes that won't start stop screaming? And he looked at me and he said, I never thought of it like that. I thought he would, and I said, it's not easy. I said, and that would be you, Joel. You were, or you, you know, we joke about how, how much you cried as a little one. It's, you only cried once. It started when you were born and ended when you were three, mm-hmm. right? But the interesting thing is after talking with this gentleman, helping him see how much compassion would have changed that, changed his anger. And it, he, he, it shifted his perspective. And I actually kudos to this gentleman's boss because he said, He's been a good worker here for years. He's going through a really hard time. I know what it's like to have a fussy baby. And I know what it's like to have postpartum, a wife that's experienced postpartum because I had that. Mm -hmm. You don't know what that's like and you're judging it. Stop judging. Start being supportive. And if maybe in life, if we all just stop judging a little bit more, parenting wouldn't be turning into a competition. Parenting, we all, I get it. I had a tough, I've had a tough day parenting too. I get it as opposed to, you know, look at, look at the crafts and look at the meals I made my kids and some other mothers like, Oh my God, I didn't do crafts or that with my kid. Just stop judging. Maybe that's the stepping the first step into finding um, some peace around the parenting and uh, parenting puzzle. Suzanne, where can those who want to, and if you don't want to remain hidden, but those who may, may want to learn more talk, you know, where can they find you? Well, that's putting me on the spot, Joel. <laughs> Which anybody, is your website, Suzanne? Anybody can. Yeah, I'm just joking. Anybody can reach out <laughs> to me through my website. I have a huge belief in the capacity of people. Huge. I have, I've just seen people change in their lives, and I have so much joy in what I do, and a huge belief in the capacity of of people's growth. You can reach me through Suzanne at SuzanneAdams.net. Uh, I also do have an Instagram post that you just, I gave, your, you just gave your email freely. <laughs> no, that's my, that's my uh, website. They'll go Suzanne, to my website. Suzanne at SuzanneAdams.net is your website. If you just, if, yeah, like if you just, if you go, that'll go to my website. I sure hope or actually edit that Isn't out. Isn't it just oh. SuzanneAdams.net is your website? I don't actually know. <laughs> I don't know. Want to talk cool. about an in, imperfect real moment we just had? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, that's a good question. I I, I could I, be wrong. I don't know. I'm just. Well, just Google Suzanne Adams coaching. There's another girl we named Suzanne Adams, so you can. She looks like she's got a great website too. Uh, uh, so there, that's going to end on a funny. Now I'm going to get tons of emails from. No, that. I don't. Well, yeah, that actually would be your email address. I, uh, <laughs> I just neither of us are very uh, are very technical. Like I'm a big, like very, I'm a zero, but you know, I wrote all my Instagram posts, but I had somebody post them and I didn't even, I don't even know. And that's genuinely because you, you didn't know how I, I I hear you. It's uh, I'm just bugging you, mom. It's It's, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay, son. I, I do. I do, do want, you know, those who may be interested in your coaching, but also you're really interesting is your interview prep, which we will do a follow-up podcast on um, at some point in the near future, a hundred percent focused on interview prep 
but you'll be amazed with how much of even what we just talked about plays into that. And so I, I thank you as a mother, but also as, uh, as a guest here sharing, you know, your, your wisdom over the years and also just your vulnerability with everyone who's listening. I think Thanks, very much Joel. for that. Thanks, Joel. So namaste. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. We know there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything. We'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on. Of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace.